Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. How are you doing today? Hannah, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. That's good. I'm excited. I'm excited today. Um, I'm excited I'm today, good. too. Great. Me, too. <laughs> Why aren't the answers coming off this paper today on the podcast? Hannah and I, we're just shaking things up a bit. We've talked about it before, but it's, uh, what did you just say? It's July. It's the end, I you, said it's the end of July and season eight is finally over. <laughs> and we're back to the books. <laughs> like Hannah said, it's the end of July and season eight is finally over. Or it kind of seems that way a little bit now that yeah. we're post Comic-Con panel. Post uneventful Comic-Con Right, panel. I was going to say, is there much to really talk about from that panel? Mm. Aside from... Everything that didn't happen at that panel. How did you feel about David and Dan backing out of the panel at the last minute? Was that something that bothered you? Was it something that made you laugh? And I'm also asking everyone who's listening right now. How did you guys feel about it? Did you know about that? That's a thing It's not something that bothers me. I kind of chuckled to myself about it. I think that at some point we have to stop being mean to (laughs) D&D a little bit as much as like I feel like a lot of... Our anger over the last couple of seasons have been pointed in their direction, and I think some of it is warranted and some of it isn't. I'm not surprised that they didn't. And, you know, for whatever reason it was that they're going to give that they say or don't say, however true that is. I don't actually remember what the official reason was, like scheduling conflicts or something. Uh, That's the usual reason, something like that. (laughs) That's the reason why I don't, like, go to half of the things I'm invited to. Because, like, oh, man, I got a scheduling conflict. Yeah, I hate those conflicts. But I'm not surprised. Did you see the the video of, uh, it, it was in Hall H, in San Diego, at San Diego Comic-Con, mm-hmm. and there were actors from the show in attendance. I forget the whole list. Uh, there was a, a few changes. I think there was one or two changes outside of uh, David and Dan that also couldn't go. So that that fact is also a little bit glossed over when we're recounting the story, or at least the way the headlines look. It says, right. like, David and Dan drop out of Comic-Con panel, and everyone's like, I knew they would. I right. knew they would. But a couple of people couldn't make it. Either way. Um, in Hall H, just after that panel, you have like a whole crowd of people, and a lot of people wait a long time to file into this room. And it, the way it looked in the some of the videos I saw were uh, was basically like it was a big concert or something in this convention hall. The way yeah. that it was packed for Game of Thrones, and I think it's probably like that for a lot of big properties. And so it was right. exciting. But when one thing is over, you know, everyone files out off the side of the stage, and then a whole new lineup of celebrities replaces them and start talking about something else. But not everyone in that room leaves. So such a packed place with such a high energy, such a personal thing. They love Game of Thrones. The final season just ended. They got uh, replaced by Seth Rogen and some other people. I I don't know who was on the rest of his panel, but I saw a a clip of him. Uh, It was like the the takeaway from the event he was like, hey, I'm so happy, everyone. Did you guys have a good time like watching the Game of Thrones panel? He's like, I heard the two showrunners dropped out the last minute and didn't <laughs> want to talk to you guys. Great. So if you guys want to talk about Game of Thrones, we could talk about my thing, but we can also talk about Game of Thrones if you want to ask me questions about that. Which is like really funny. Parts hilarious and parts a little bit trippy because it's still so important to everyone or still so it's such a thing that we can all 
even Seth Rogen on some unrelated panel that we can all like have jokes that we understand about even when it's in reference to two people and right. their activity within their job essentially right their well, chosen that's like field. Such a, it's such a comic-con thing for all of that to kind of come together like that mm-hmm. which i think it's really funny but i mean how do you feel about it like do you think that people you know in there probably was a scheduling conflict. Like, I'm not saying that they, that they like, dropped out of it as a part of some conspiracy theory, but I don't know if you had any, like, specific feelings about it. I, I think that it would have been fun if they were there because I think people would like to see them and hear them talk because they made yeah. the show that is so important to them. And George R. R. Martin wasn't there, so they would be, like, the most official capacity possible. And it's a show of good faith, especially when you're standing beside the people that helped you make it come to life. And you're, yeah. stand, you're there with everyone that loved it enough to stand in line for all of that. So just the idea of them not showing up is kind of a, a bummer. But I also understand the, the, just the unwillingness to get involved if that's really how they felt. But that's not fun if that's really how they felt. It's just not a fun approach to it. I, I feel bad for I, them if that's what it is. I hope it's not. I do too. I hope it's just that we all laugh about that kind of thing and that most people liked Game of Thrones and are moving on with their lives and uh, it, it doesn't like persist. But I think that for some people, the uh, conclusion of the series is something that they're not going to be able to let go of. I know that we have feelings about that. AKA and, us. And <laughs> it's, it's going to continue and follow these two guys for the rest of their lives. Sorry. Yeah, everyone else can move on with their lives and then we're going to... Keep talking about us on Ways and Fire. We thought it'd be a good idea to talk about the Winds of Winter on the podcast, and we talked. We we discussed it on on the show before, right? With everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we did a little bit. We uh, at the end of season eight, I think that as we were thinking a lot about some of these big sweeping conclusions to the series from the TV perspective, it is most exciting for us to dive into where we're at at the end of the book series. And we're still going to eventually go back to, fairly soon, go back to our reading order and and work through that. But I feel like there's no better time to kind of dive into the sample chapters that are available to us for Winds of Winter and to talk about where things lay than right now that we've got some answers about how things play out. Because I think that a lot of what has happened at the end of Season 8 has been speculation and conversation about what does that actually mean in terms of the book series. So we wanted to dive into some of that. Get a little bit further, or sorry, a little bit closer to the truth. Some of the unreleased material that we've only referenced in some of our conversations on the podcast and uh, haven't like given the full scope of attention that I know that I have the first five books and I've only read some of them. Which yeah, you have. That's the thing. It's like also maybe a selfish endeavor because you <laughs> were waiting to read the sample chapters until we talked about them mm-hmm. on the show. And it's been really fun. It's been really fun. We tried to record the podcast last week, but we had another technical difficulty because we were, we were trying to record it with video. So that's going to happen soon, and we'll discuss why at the end of the podcast. But right now, we're just doing this episode normally. 
and we were deciding like different ways to approach the chapters because they're all unreleased. They've all been released by George R. R. Martin as teasers, as excerpts for the upcoming book, The Winds of Winter, of which carries its own weight and lore. And if you're listening to this podcast, I don't think we need to make jokes for the next three minutes no. about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we get it. <laughs> but we decided to... I'm right about this, right, Hannah? We decided to talk about them in the order that he released them, or at least right now with Theon Yeah, in the order that he released them, because, and I think Theon 1, you have everything in front of you, so correct me if I'm wrong, but Theon 1 was released in 2011, sometime a couple months, a couple weeks after Dance of Dragons was released. And then between then and now, we've had a handful of chapters either been officially released on George R. R. George R. R. Martin, say that five times fast, George R. R. Martin's website, or he's read a lot of chapters at conventions, and some of those have been published and some of those haven't. So there's a lot of material floating out there. It's been a while since he's released a chapter or read a chapter. It's been since that Balticon chapter. The one that you're in attendance at. Yeah. We, were, we were talking about it before. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I, I, it's completely going off going off topic. Um, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that chapter, like more about that chapter when we get there. Anyway, all this to say is that there's a lot of material out there. This is something that he did do before dance. Um, and so this isn't like a new concept for Winds of Winter. But I think that particularly because the space and time between Winds of Winter has grown even longer than other space between other books. they become more important. We were also having a conversation about them, about whether or not how much of them will still hold true by the time that Winds of Winter gets released. You know, because the gap has been so large, do we, and as we talk about like the Theon chapter, how much of that is going to be changed? I know between before dance, like a couple of the sample chapters were tweaked slightly or changed a little bit how many of these are we going to see overhauls to or how many of them are going to be exactly the same i think is a little bit of an interesting conversation as well so i'm excited i wonder why he hasn't posted a new one in three years he's sick of people asking him (laughs) when the book is going to come out and what do you what do you think about the uh concept of him releasing the teasers for the book in the first place because, like you said, he was doing it through his uh, website, which we linked to today on social his web, media. His old website is just, I, it's the best website I've ever seen. It's pretty awesome. And it looks like my old live journal. At the top of, a, of each page, just to remind you, the guy that put all these words together. And it's kind of a neat little environment to read the books in. I tried yeah. reading it in the doc, in the <laughs> no. docs that we have, but I, I like it much better through his website. Anyway. You do because it's like purple and the font isn't normal font. Right. It's like some weird yeah. sort of scrawly script. It's fun. I can't. It's weird. Even, it's not. I can't even look at it's it It's different for than, than the, the stuff that we've been doing for the other podcast episodes because it's, uh you know, like we have them organized into docs, but it's just kind of fun. It feels like this strange, like modern detective work going through these chapters that George right. is only published in excerpts and the, the book is yet to come, but here we are diving forward. But he put these out, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he released these. If he didn't release it officially through his website, they were used as programming essentially for his appearance, appearances at different conventions across the world. And he's had a bit of a, uh, like, uh, what was it? It was a uh, Boscone where he did two different Barry chapters. And it was like, oh, you're bringing, it's like there was a, 
a bit of a theme there for your visits <laughs> to the to Boston. Some Barristan Selmy action. And yeah. uh and I think that's really cool. Just just the whole idea of that. And that's something that you and I haven't really talked about before, just the idea of him putting out these sample chapters as a reason to do what exactly? What do you think? Well, I think him reading them at conventions are is really fun. Like, that's such a fun environment to be in. And I think it's a really cool way for him to get feedback from the audience. Not necessarily feedback changes, but just being able to watch people's reactions. Like, that's got to be a really neat thing as an author to be working on something and kind of get a little bit of a preview of how people are going to react um, which I think is really cool. And I, I mean, I'm here for it, obviously. I mean, I'm going to soak up every second of these sample chapters that we've got because I think that as we're at the end of Dance of Dragons, like that's the first thing you want is more material and new insight and to continue to feed into what you crave, I guess. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's a... I think it's an interesting insight into what he's thinking about as he's writing and what he finds important. And, um, you know, some of these are chapters that he's writing specifically for Winds of Winter. I think a couple of them, and I can't remember off the top of my head, are chapters that were supposed to be in dance but um, ended up getting cut and things like that. It's a cool insight into the writing process. But I think, I mean, I think it's just an interesting way to interact with readers as you're not able to get the book published right away. Mm Mm-hmm. So you got to be really confident to do that. Like I have <laughs> well, these pieces of the book here and my publishers are okay with it. Like that you're still going to buy the book. I know that that's an obvious thing and that more people probably should do it. But I think that maybe more tightly quartered people or, or groups of uh, creatives that are putting out these books, whether it's something that's new and that they have like a, a company policy about or whether it's something that has sort of created its own importance through popularity and now they're treating it with special, you know, like rules. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a cool thing to still be as big as the Song of Ice and Fire and to, at least for a while there, I know he hasn't posted a new chapter in three years. There's 11 chapters released right now of The Winds of Winter. And that's, a, I mean, that's a lot. That's a big chunk of the book. Is it I know a lot that though? It's gonna be a, <laughs> it is a lot. 11 chapters? Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right, but there's also Think like about when we were kids. Chapters. We got like uh, headlines of news whenever the the title of the next Harry Potter book was finally released. And then years right. later, J.K. Rowling is talking to Oprah or something, and she takes out her like a piece of paper and reads the description of what Rufus Scrimger's hair looks like. And we're all yeah. like, oh my God, the snippet of the next book. But we have 11 chapters of The Winds of Winter right now. Yeah. Which is, I mean, so that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is awesome. How do you? So, as we mentioned, you hadn't read these before, and so this is your first time diving in, and you haven't even read all of them. You've just mm-hmm. read a couple of them. Mm-hmm. How does it feel to have new material? I mean, I, I don't think I don't think a lot is necessarily come as a surprise to you because some of it has just seeped into how the community talks about a song of ice and fire. But what's it like to dive into Winds of Winter for you for the first time? I'm pleasantly surprised how much hasn't really been translated through the overall conversations with folks. And I'm not really sure how to feel about that. Like, maybe not everyone has the same experience with The Song of Ice and Fire as me. Maybe reading these books is an ultimately personal experience that we can talk about on the podcast right now. <laughs> I feel the the sense of space in Stannis' tent and the way that Dion is hanging from his shoulders, from his wrists above him, and the way that 
Maester Tybald walks in and out and glances up at Theon hanging. And I'm like, oh, it's good to have some new, some new story back. Yeah. And to be back it's with just the overall feeling. Of course. Yeah. yeah no, it, that, that part is awesome. I've been surprised by some of the things that I've read because I feel like they come from another era, another time inside of the artistic representation of what's inside of George through his writing. Seeing some of those choices laid beside each other are evoking themes that I'm not used to seeing. And I don't know if it's the winds of winter specific or if it's just a product of the current age and the way we're all moving forward and making our stuff and then engaging with our stuff. And I'm excited to get into talking about more of that as we go through the rest of these sample chapters. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's yeah good. and it's, it's also exciting. Well, one, it's exciting to be with Stannis, but Stannis has been dead in the show a long time, so cool. But... The, for me specifically, just because Theon at the end of season eight was such a poetic and probably the saddest part of the seasons for me, to come back to him and to look at how he is in this chapter in Winds of Winter and be back inside his head as he's still very much in the early stages of his potential redemption arc if things turn the way that they did in Game of Thrones was really neat because that was such a poignant end to his story for me. And so I'm really, really excited to have that in some small way hashtag confirmed and to be able to then track that journey as he eventually gets to the point where he can not unwrite his wrongs, but maybe sacrifice in order to kind of pay some of those debts. But um it made me really excited because I've always really enjoyed Theon's character, but something about season eight has made me love him even more. And so to start with Theon back in the winds of winter is and has been and whatever, an exciting prospect. <laughs> so I definitely agree. We got a little bit of a of a window into Theon's redemption yeah. when he was carrying Jane across the snow and she says to him, you saved me, even though it was cloistered and isolated and crow food was near and everything about Theon feeling potentially proud of himself or feeling good about the situation, even though it was really scary, is about to be washed mm-hmm. away. There was that moment after he was carrying her because he landed on top of her and broke her ribs that he felt a little okay. And it's cool to be, we're separated a few chapters from our last journey with Theon inside of Winterfell in our Feast with Dragons reading order. And so it's a little weird right now because I'm in a bit of a time hop. (laughs) Sorry. Apart from (laughs) the fact that life is hard and we're facing an almost guaranteed demise unless Tycho Nestoris wants to tell us what he knows pretty much looks like this is all just a a case of borrowed time. And it sort of feels that way until the end of the chapter. And it specifically feels that way when we're seeing Theon feel like death is the best end to his story at this point. It's like, please just take me across the frozen lake and kill me at the werewolf tree. But that's really not how it is. So it still feels for the time being, even though it's a new chapter and, uh, it's the uh, I guess this is going to be the beginning. It's Theon one, so it'll be somewhere near the very top of the Winds of Winter. It's it's very much an opening scene for a whole new area for him and all of the characters for his sister, potentially even for Stannis. He has uh, this is there's so much new stuff, but yet it feels like the end of a lot of other things. Yeah, and that's really 
fun for me to experience at the top of the book. I wish we had the rest of it, obviously, but the way it fits in is going to be really neat. Yeah, because it brings up a lot of questions. There's a lot of new stuff, but not a lot of stuff necessarily happens. And so it brings up a lot of questions about what we're going to see Stannis do, how the Boltons and their attack, potentially, how that's going to go. I think that we get a lot of questions near the end of the chapter about what's going on with the Three-Eyed Raven or Bran or something is happening at the end of the chapter. There's questions about the Iron Bank and why, what's his name, Tycho Nisiris is even there in the first right. place backing Stannis. And we get more insight, yeah, into, because the last time we see Theon at the end of the last book is their jump. And so this is us realizing that he didn't die basically in that situation. So I like that it wasn't a complete BS reason that it also bolsters the intensity of the current winter state. Mm-hmm. And that was a little bit mirrored by the uh, freezing of Stannis's inkwell at the beginning of the chapter here. That's just how it is. I mean, his fall was, was broken. I feel like they could have been a bit more clear with that on the TV show, but I was a lot more pleased with the, explanation for exactly what happened, you know, with their escape in this way. how they flew. Yeah, that was weird, right? There's so much strange in and out of of reality with Dion in this chapter. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like it's because he's stressed out. It feels like it's a it's been put on by the sort of acceptance of how things are. Maybe this this slight reprieve from being with Ramsey and he thinks he's going to come back soon. So this is just sort of like, you can't do anything to me. He's ultra confident because he's not yet back with his torturer. So he's just sort of grateful. It's like, it's like this strange gratefulness that's underneath everything that's sort of coloring his, is just not taking anything seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think especially as he tries to describe how the type of damage that can be afflicted on everyone who, Call yeah, that was the part Ramsey. where he got serious and a little bit mm-hmm. bummed out. He's like, Ramsey's a real deal, and don't call him a bastard. He's terrifying. Don't like, call there's him nothing, that. <laughs> there's nothing that you guys can do to me, essentially, that could be worse than, than what he's doing. And so as he's... We see him sort of starting to regain some of that consciousness in the sense of he's been through hell and back again and again and again, and it's... <laughs> the way that we see it in Game of Thrones is that he like gets rescued and then he's over it basically. He has like a three second conversation with his sister and then he's like freed and back to normal after going through everything that he went through. And so this is obviously a more nuanced insight into kind of what that recovery is going to look like as he flows between these different realities that he's been living in as he's been tortured. It's so weird because he's really sure about each of them when he's mm-hmm. in in each of them. He's he right. says multiple times in this chapter, my my name is Theon, and we've had a pretty good a pretty good course of him changing. I don't know when you would say I guess this would be a personal decision, but whenever you would say that the the seeds were really planted for him to start moving out of being completely under Ramsey's will, maybe somewhere around Roose Bolton, taking him out for a ride and sending him off, sitting him off for a task, literally Mm -hmm. giving him the clothes of Theon. Uh, But we've had a lot of time doing it. Right. But it's, it's like you were saying, it's so psychologically absolute because we're, 
we're not being treated to like a, a montage of it and then we can move on and explore, you know, Theon as he's become Theon again himself. It's still right now at this point, we're reading a sample chapter from the unreleased Winds of Winter and he's still having a lot of trouble holding his identity. And he probably will throughout, my guess is throughout a decent chunk of Winds of Winter because even as he's having a conversation or as he's recalling back to a conversation that he's had with his sister, somebody who's so incredibly familiar to him, he is trying to pull up... um, she or he he won't let her call him Ramsey a bastard or all that kind of stuff while he is explaining everything that that has happened and and begging for her to understand that he didn't in his head that oh, yeah. he didn't kill Brandon Rickon yeah. but and that she has to understand she's my sister but don't call him a bastard so even somebody who's so familiar to him as his sister I think that a, a lot of that will probably be untangled in conversations that that the two of them eventually have and it's so it's a weird time to be so strangely connected to your training with Ramsey the moment that you're describing is when he came upon their village the crofters village and everything for the first time and mm-hmm. she was running out basically to be like oh my god what's what's happening here and she recoils to recognize him. and he deals with it and her mouth twists and George thought to put that in, which I thought was a very insightful look into what someone in that moment would really be like twisted about. He probably wouldn't be able to vocalize it, but since we're inside of his head, that was a, a nice description. And it it made me understand, or at least helped me understand what followed, which was that, that, that what you were just describing was this strange info dump that was coming out of Theon. And it was so... It was so insightful. It was like a sort of a raw nerve of what George has been doing with Theon just laid yeah. out. And within that, it had one of the most unsettling de- uh, descriptions of Ramsay's torture to Theon that I've read. It was very personal and very intimate. Something about the uh, about Ramsay only cutting off flesh if he begged him for it or something. Like mm-hmm. that would be the least worst thing he did or something like that. You, you guys have to go back and read it and see, but it's it's sort of softly put in. And uh, there's also another moment in that exchange that's very soft where he reminds her of her name and she says, um, he says, your name is Asha. And she's like, I know. And within that exchange, she had been disgusted. She had been post all of her exploration, heading south with Stannis's people not in the best of moods, not in the best shape, not impressed with seeing Theon and everything happening. And yet we find these moments of warmth. We find these moments of softness with these two. And I don't know, it's just like you expect it to happen. But when you read material that you haven't read before and you find these moments, Mm -hmm. you can clearly see what the author is trying to do with our brains. Mm -hmm. But especially as we get that information in the middle of this other narrative that's running over the chapter. So we've got, like, this is the first time we're seeing Theon, and we've got the Iron Bank is here talking to Stannis, and he's hanging on the wall, and there's all this crazy stuff happening, and we get to start to put together the piece of the puzzle of Theon jumping, and then what has brought him from there to here, uh, and, and filling in the gaps throughout the chapter, kind of in and out as he's in and out of consciousness and how he's as he's in and out of remembering different kinds of things. I think that's a cool way to give us that information and, and give us some of those insights throughout this other 
narrative, which is Stan is preparing for war and for battle. It's so cool because we're putting together the pieces of both of those stories yeah. at the same time. What Stannis knows about and what he's thinking about and also what happened to Theon exactly. Like it's not exactly clear what happened to Anus Frey and what the Umbers are doing until we get further description down probably at least three quarters through the through the the chapter and we understand more about theon's story about when he came over but it's cool how it's sort of staggered over time and it starts in the beginning when he recognizes tycho nestoris's voice and you're like ah you know we came into this chapter when action was already moving and literally it feels fun to me it's like entering a movie scene in the middle of this the scene already Mm -hmm. and they're having the discussion theon wakes up and he's been here he's been the fly on the wall in stannis's tent you know what i mean he's he's heard conversations and negotiations and uh it just makes the place feel more alive and i i like the the device of revealing that information sort of like slow burn slowly over time about both of, or from both sides mm-hmm. of uh, both Theon's perspective and then Stannis's. And of course, having Bran and Brendan Rivers there the whole time just adds this level of just, it's like hilarious, this hilarious FU quality. It's like, <laughs> stop taking everything so seriously yeah. because sometimes Stannis is going to look back at a bird annoyed in this chapter. Right. Even though someone's probably going to get their eyes scooped out, Stannis is also annoyed at Bran and Brenda Rivers. Doing their, doing their thing that nobody quite yet understands. It's just hilarious. Yeah. Can we go back to the beginning of the chapter as you're talking about some of the atmospheric things? The best thing about the beginning of the chapter that really sets the tone and it's like, ah, yes, Stannis, I missed you, is when he is trying to sign all these papers for the Iron Bank. And his ink is frozen, and so instead of just taking five seconds to thaw out the ink and then go forward and sign, he uh, stabs his thumb and <laughs> blots the ink from from his thumb, and is like, "I will, I'll sign in my own blood. That ought to make your maesters happy or your masters happy." And Tycho is like, "If it please your grace, it please the Iron Bank." <laughs> it's just so so cool. Oh, man, it's like, oh, Stannis, like, I miss that guy. I was saying that Tycho Nostoris is cool, by the way. That was a, it's kind of like a, it's too lit of a move by Stannis. I know <laughs> yeah. how he thinks it seemed, yeah. but you slide, you slid a blade across the ball of your thumb. That's a too, it's too lit of a choice. Like, I know where you're coming from, but I think it says a lot about just sort of the state of affairs with Stannis and his whole party. And uh, I think it's later in my mind, just uh, made my ideas made stronger by his whole exchange with Justin Massey. But this is where it is. It's like the it's like the end, sort of. It feels that way. Maybe it's because I have so much perspective from the TV series, but it feels like it could be the end. Apart from what the Iron Bank Bravos is doing, obviously, he's he's down to his blood. He's mm-hmm. down to signing it in his blood. Right. Like, yes, I'll sign away whatever you want. Just bring me some people. Will they even get here in time? He's also telling his guy, hey, if I lose, here's the plan about here's the losing plan where you bring everyone over that you can afford and you put Shireen on the Iron Throne. It's such a half-hearted, non-full-of-life like directive. It's all just sort of unbelievable at this point, the fact that Justin Massey's going to go on such a long voyage, maybe even head into the disputed lands with right. all of that money from the Iron Bank right. and spearhead a campaign of bringing back a sellsword company. Well, and it's also, I mean, Stannis is well aware 
right at this point that there aren't really I mean he even says so like the golden company is is taken for so he's well aware that there aren't a lot of options in terms of sell swords and so right like he knows that and so he says they might be I don't think that he's aware that they've already that they're already locked in a a crazy conflict that involves Asha's uncle yeah that could probably just be us as a reader's perspective but I mean we know as a from a reader's perspective that there's not a lot of options at all because we've got other people tied up in Marine. And so it's exciting to me that either we, maybe like there's other people out there that we meet, or maybe Stannis knows that this is a last ditch effort, but he wants to try something because he needs to try anything. And, um, I don't know. I think that I think that's what it is, right? I have to be doing something and this is the best move. Do we think it just brings up a lot of questions about Stannis? Like if he does he truly want to put Shireen on the Iron Throne? Like is is she going to die in the books the way that she did in the show or is she going to be able to maybe leave eventually bid in some small way to take the throne, you know? That's seemingly what Stannis is working for at this point so we don't really have answers to that yet it just seems like a a list of of commands to give in a way that makes his uh appreciation of his own situation to justin massey clear like he's acknowledging at least to to jm that (laughs) (laughs) i'm just like come on now justin can't just say his name over and over justin's like a name that feels justin massey is like such a normal name and as we're Uh using all these other names like stannis and tycho and theon it's like justin (laughs) we had a a tractor when i was a kid that was a an old an old massey before Mm. massey ferguson joined and made one company either way it reminds me of an old tractor love that so so uh justin what were we saying about him (laughs) that he's off to do something that he's off to find another sellsword company oh right no those are the facts but the, the way that i felt I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't remember what we were talking about. Got distracted about by the name Justin. Thinking about all the Justins you know in high school. God darn it. It's too hard. <laughs> I can't remember what I was just saying. <laughs> you were saying that Stannis is just going down a list, essentially. Oh, yeah. But I don't think that any of these potential outcomes are that personally important to him if he's dead. And he's acknowledging the fact that he might die. And he's at least doing something Mm -hmm. maybe he feels kind of weird like he has a responsibility because of this deal with the iron bank maybe he knows more about what the iron bank knows that we don't know about and that would make two people that know lots more than we know about and maybe that that would give more insight on why he's taking measures with justin massey when it seems futile because the measures he's taking with justin is kind of weird it's just kind of weird Well, and also if Stannis really is in this situation of just kind of checking the boxes and trying to do a bunch of different things without any real excitement or like heart or weight behind them in this particular sense, then why is the Iron Bank willing to give him so much money? That like Stannis is the one that the Iron Bank is going to put their cards behind. Like what do they know about Stannis or what do they assume about Stannis that makes him the most uh, attractive candidate to them, you know? It could be a product of his own lore. He goes into a little bit of that when he's describing his victory over Young Greyjoy and his his 
time as a military man during Robert's Rebellion. And if you look back in, at a recent spread, other than his loss at Blackwater, what he did at the wall was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe there's potential for the Iron Bank to play more than one side in this case. Yeah. And I don't know how much they would have to lose if at the end of the day, all the money was kind of going in the same place, the same pool. It's kind of a a strange problem because Tycho is also very aware of just the the state of affairs in Westeros right. with the North and uh, with everyone's preparation or level of preparation for surviving through the winter. I think that maybe what the people of Bravos are aware of and a lot of other people in Essos that are sort of top level thinkers that are thinking globally. I think that they're aware that Westeros has been in a state of weirdness for a while and that with this winter coming at the same time that all of these people are having these unnecessary squabbles, spending all this money and spending all this un- un- spilling all this unnecessary blood, I think that they know it's at a really wrong time for them and that it may be a crucial moment for those resources to be reallocated. It may be during the time of the winter or after, depending on who's on top of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, this could be a, a product of Tycho Nostoris just hedging his bets simply. For something. Just hedging his yeah. bets on behalf of the Iron Bank. They probably have enough money to do that. I don't think that renting a party of adventurers to fight for Stannis or professional soldiers, rather— is something that is going to put them in a really dangerous place financially. And so maybe it's more interesting to be really involved in the overall conflict in as many ways as possible or in a strategic way that we don't know about yet than it is to be super... Hands-off. Yeah, hands-off or just focused on the fact that it's specifically a a potential loss money-related. What we know about them would lead me to believe that they're not interested in doing anything that may lead to potential loss, even if it has some strangeness of uh, potential attached to it. Like They they seem to be successful because of a long history of making pretty binary decisions based off of facts, but I'm thinking about everything that's happening with the people that are visiting Bravos in the Mercy chapter. There's more going on than we know about. There's like a wider perspective of... uh, Westeros that they know more about being all make-believe characters, but presumably make-believe characters in this story that are like really serious about their lives. <laughs> yeah, they and don't really know serious about money. Right, exactly. <laughs> they're they're taking this all very seriously, and I think that they there's a lot of people and definitely a small group of people that know a lot and they're just kind of being patient. And I think that the Iron Bank is on the list of. Of groups like we talk in strange hushed tones about certain thinkers across uh, West or Westos, <laughs> Westeros, and Estos. Yeah, and uh, I think that the Iron Bank is like among them, or at least the, some of the people that are within it. And so this is a one of those things that I think is attached to that sort of same level of mysteries, or at least political intrigue that we like shelve for later conversations when we get more information. I think that that's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Maybe. It could be something magic-related, which would also excite me in many ways. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe. Isn't everything, as we're getting towards the end of end game of the series, going to be sort of magic-related? Um, I don't know. I think that that might be wishful thinking. And I think you make a, an interesting point of there's so much chaos that you got to back aside. And Stannis is somebody who has a legitimate claim to the throne and is also as 
wild and out as he is when he signs things in his own blood. Like, he's pretty level-headed, and he's got a militaristic mind, and he, um, you know, he doesn't have a lot of support necessarily, but he's he's probably a decent candidate. It's just interesting to me because you look at other people who seem to be more, to be more powerful, and I know that, like, the Iron Throne right now, or, like, not the Iron Throne itself, the Lannisters, <laughs> they owe a lot of money to the Iron Bank, and so there's a lot of other stuff going on in there, but... Um, I just think it's interesting that they're the that Stannis is one that they are choosing. Like the Iron Bank is not going to back the Lannisters right now, as even though they have a lot of resources, because they already owe them so many so much money, right? Part of that is the guarantee of potentially getting your money back in lieu of losing it all. The way that they could get all of their money back if the Lannisters lost is if they had some kind of a deal with whoever was in charge to recoup their losses from the Lannister land itself. So if we're basically plundering the Westerlands for their gold and other resources to pay back the Iron Bank plus interest, that would be something that they would be interested in. They could make that deal with the Lannisters themselves where it's like, okay, we'll help you, but your your debt is going to have to be re-honored in a serious way. That does seem kind of unlikely, especially after you set it up that way, especially after there's so many other people that have the potential to make new deals with them that don't already owe them money. But mm-hmm. I'd have to know more about like what the people that are associated with the leadership think about the Lannisters first off and like how much their hold of King's Landing and of the West and different places and their strategic uh, alliances with people that have lots of power like how much that matters and how much that that would be factored into what they were doing necessarily. But right. I think that it's really interesting that they're so involved. And I think that with Stannis so casually mentioning sellswords in this chapter, even more so, some of these themes that seemed like they were Daenerys only related in the right. early books, these these other lands are just like leaking all over Westeros and making their way all over our story. And I think it says a lot about the influence of foreign lands moving into Westeros and seeing this guy here so calm, cool, and collected, but yet so eager to leave before this fight breaks out, (laughs) I think says a lot about where certain interests lie. And I think that we're going to be shown a really probably nasty truth about that's going to involve people that don't deserve anything getting things that they that that people we care about should have and we're going to be really mad about it. Yeah. And I think that that's going to suck, but that would be kind of cool. It all depends on how this goes. I didn't expect there to be a little uh just like a sort of miniature tale of uh, feelings and emotions tied up within all of the military stuff because life and death has always been more interesting to me when it comes to characters that are put in a position where they might leave the story or not so it's like let me put some of that emotional stuff on standby like I haven't been thinking about Shireen or Stannis' relationship with his daughter recently or where Melisandre might come in and influence him to follow through with the act that we saw on the show I've been thinking more so about okay, well, this is where he dies, right? This is where he falls and everyone that we know that has been with him falls, maybe besides Asha and Theon for strategic reasons because they're probably going to be expensive captives if 
the fight does happen. But presumably Stannis would be too, but I guess it just it'd be good to take him down and just get him out of the way because I guess no one else cares about him. Right. And like Stannis, what? I think he's an interesting captive, but in terms of information that could aid the en- or aid in the fight against what other whatever other enemy is out there. It's like he's yeah. such a big guy they, they can't risk him escaping like a la <laughs> Jamie Lannister or something, you know? So um right. I think you just do away with him and let it be that. Right. I just, uh, like I said, I've been thinking more about who would win. And within that, there's this story with Theon and his sister and everyone else that's there that we had time traveling with. And this chapter, if you didn't read it for a good, like if you didn't read all the way through A Dance of Dragons and and go right to the available sample chapters, if you had a gap of time, coming back to this like has a bit of a sweetness because you're reminded some about those people that you traveled through A Dance of Dragons with, with Stannis' company, through Asha's eyes. And uh, you don't want them all to die in this way. No. And you don't want the people that we like inside of Winterfell to die either. And you're like really curious about Mance Raider at the same time and also really suspicious about everyone's information. Right. And the way that that matters to us is basically shown with the situation with Stannis and the, the maester that was from the Dreadfort and was so traveling with the Karstarks, Mr. <laughs> Tybalt. Yeah. That's a, uh, that this is a scenario. Like this is where it matters. I don't know if it matters much outside of this how it makes us feel and how it directly affects the person, especially in the situation with the Boltons and Stannis, because they're right beside each other. They're right here. They know where each other are. <clears throat> they have maps. Uh, presumably, he, he th- that's the worst part. Yeah. He'd been giving information for a while. So they were like prepared and really expecting him. But when they get here to this, this place, he presumably gives them a strategic layout of the place so they can make a military plan, which Mm -hmm. is going to be a lot more effective. It's already super effective to ride against these guys with better arms, with more people and with better rest, but to also have the, the map, it's really puts them at a disadvantage because they're going to be able to be outsmarted basically. Right. Or at least have the potential to not have the high ground or at least have the potential not to have the geographic, capability to outsmart them based on the education of the enemy. Right. But that's really it. it. These uh these weird suspicious people like who's telling on who, it's kind of coming to a head and that's what I was talking about at the beginning of the discussion, the sort of transition into the it's like an end but also a new beginning. Makes me really excited for the Winds of Winter because it seems like it's going to be something unlike we've read because this has elements of everything and it's it's just being presented in such a beautiful, simple manner. Mm-hmm. I know that the Harry Potter references are sometimes ridiculous on the podcast. No <laughs> one's complained about it yet, but someone probably will now. I just, I got this overwhelming feeling when I was reading it and, or, and rereading today, and I wanted to text you about it, but I don't want to like plant ideas inside of your head and make it <laughs> okay. unfair before the discussion. But Did I, I got your it. Hand? So, it was, I didn't want to. I, I got this feeling when I was reading it that it just felt so much like like a like a some of my favorite Potter chapters to me when like you're in like the other minister or something when you're mm-hmm. in like one room or like when you're in Dumbledore's office yeah. and people are filing in and out and like you're basically like Harry but you're Theon in the situation and so you're you're like 
maybe you're under the invisibility cloak or maybe or you're like tied to the wall. <laughs> right. Maybe someone's holding you captive against your will, but either way, or maybe you're just in there and like, you're super intimidated by all these grownups. So maybe it's like early books or later books, just choose your poison. Just, just go with me here. Got it. You're, you're sitting in a place and uh, you're observing all these things happening. You've got like the powerful guy that like has that, affection from him like is a goes a soaring long way and also it goes a soaring long way when he's like personal with you like when uh theon moves and uh no one's in the room and stannis goes like oh the turn cloak stirs yeah you know like this is a really private moment with stannis that we don't normally get right and then we've got these new people that are coming in and out and like the guy who came in, I forget his name, but who has the moths on his coat, mm-hmm. uh, just painting such a sort of rustic, but yet personal retainer feel where Stannis has power. And yet the kind of people that are with him are a bit morally ambiguous, but still are like a lot more dependable than the kind of guy who would piss himself when he comes in here. Right. And you've got a guy who's <laughs> going to be brought in here and he's going to piss himself. Right. I like the room feel. I liked being in his tent. I like the use of space. I like the slow burn introduction of themes and then like a mystery about the information that we were talking about earlier sort of being disseminated on both sides. And then when you add the magical element of having the crows in the room that have this like weird prophetic dream like vision that they've been feeding Theon at this point. And then they say his name at the end and he knows, he knows that they know his name. He knows. The bir- this is the first chapter for Theon and the Winds of Winter. It's like, whoa, this book's going to be crazy because <laughs> Theon's already crazy enough to think anything's possible. And so right. if we're going through more points of view with him. Like, think about if if the next think about if Stannis really does, like Asha was saying at the end of the chapter, really does take him to that weirwood tree across the lake with his magic sword. Like, what's going to happen there? Is that the moment everyone attacks and they're in the right place for, like, the battle? Like, everyone dies and they survive or, you know what I mean? Like, is that a strategic thing? Like, this was all just to get them there for the moment that the fight starts? Like, I don't know. But we've seen the power of the Three-Eyed Raven be used in really strange ways that sometimes end up being, like, really simple. We're just like, damn, I wish it was deeper than that. But there's just so much potential. Mm -hmm. There's just so much because there is a weird magical thing happening. We can talk about a lot of this stuff in this chapter and chalk it up to confusion between people, liars, people who want something that they don't, they don't, they don't deserve. But this is different than all of that. Those crows, those ravens that are in the room are we, people. Well, we don't know that 100%, but we assume that this is they a blood be. raven kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I th- they gotta be. They gotta be. No, I totally agree with you, but I also like, I have a small, like, piece of me that's like, like parrots. Or like, Theon is still, like, not 100%. Like, cause how much can we trust Theon as oh, a narrator? Right. Because we were just talking at the beginning of the chapter how he's kind of going in and out of how much he is reek even and all those kinds of things. And so are these birds really saying Theon, even though it says clear as day? So, you know, I mean, we can assume and I'm just playing devil's advocate, but I think that we can't necessarily rely 100% on Theon as a narrator, which I think makes the whole brand... Blood Raven, Brendan Rivers thing much more interesting because not only is this something that we're assuming and understanding is most likely happening here and elsewhere, 
it's happening to a character who's unreliable because he's not fully conscious necessarily or he's not fully like he doesn't have everything of his like wits about him way right to now, bring you know? me back down to earth man i'm sorry i'm just saying like i think that that makes all of that more interesting i don't i'm not saying that you're wrong i agree with you but i also just think that it makes it more intriguing when we're not getting it from a reliable source it's not stannis who's like why are these birds saying theon's name over and over again i mean even though there's other stuff. Imagine but. he ignores that fact. Yeah. Like they're this they're this deep and he's just so caught up in the military struggle and the fight that's about to happen. He already believes yeah. he's like some kind of lord of light. So the fact that these birds know Theon's name isn't that impressive to him. Right. And he's <laughs> like, like I've yeah. Seen some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He he literally is not concerned with it. He's aware that there's some magic shit going on, but he's just like, nah, I don't know, I don't really care. Yeah. That's really funny. I could see it. He's like too caught up in the paperwork. That might be what's going on at the beginning of Wins, which is really intriguing to me. If that's the state of everyone's point of view, it's like, whoa. Mm -hmm. You guys are willing to let anything happen, aren't you? Right. And so this fight's going to be extra weird. I'm so, I am so excited for this battle. I think, I think that's like a dumb thing to say because everybody is so excited for this battle to take place. But, you know, Whatever happens ends up happening to Stannis, and I think we're all assuming that this is him going out, especially as we've been talking about with this chapter. He even is thinking that he's going to go out, and he, he wants to be here. Is it just is it our guy Justin who tells him he should leave instead? Yeah, he, he says, my away? lord, I think you should go to Bravos. Yeah, and he's like, I won't. Oh, yeah. Um, he's like... I do not beg, nor will I flee again. I'm Robert's heir, the rifle king of Westeros. My place is with, with my men. Um, he's not going to run away like he did at Blackwater, right? That's when he retreated. Mm -hmm. Anyway, yeah. Um, he's re he's ready to die, essentially. Like He's ready to give himself for this cause that he so deeply believes in. And so I think that all signs are pointing to things working out in that way. But I still think that it's just going to be like this unbelievable it's gonna be a good fight i'm not i'm not one necessarily for battles i'm kind of like the whole political like uh, all these people coming in and out of stannis's office and like so good I, like that stuff is boring to me like to be you honest don't like you. it <laughs> no I, uh, I thought that you would like it Oh, interesting. It's not that it's boring to me. So what like, do you, if you don't like that, what do you like? It's just like political maneuvering and like battle plans and like all that kind of stuff. I'm just kind of like, yeah. okay, that's kind of boring to me. That's <sighs> not typically what I'm super intrigued by, but but I'm yeah. very interested in what it's leading up to because the buildup has been coming for so long that I'm more focused on kind of like all those different little pieces than I would typically be in some sort of like setting the scene for a large battle. This is does exciting because sense? yeah, no, it does. It does. I, I think it's funny because basically what you're saying is th like the, the crazy intense action -y thing, like you've been convinced even though it's not your normal thing to be pumped about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, yeah. yeah. That's what you want out of the book. Exactly. You want that to happen. You don't, you know what I mean? Like you want to be invested in a certain flourish and the, they, you use the flourish or rather the, the author does to 
give you the information, but to also like give it to you in a fun and enjoyable way. And you're ready for the crazy shit. I'm ready for it. You know, aren't you ready for it? I'm enjoying this though. <laughs> okay. I, I'm definitely ready for it. But I just, when, when the Maester Tybal was in there and he, uh, he knelt and then glanced up at Theon, I was mm-hmm. just like, I love books. Yeah. I just love books. I like the way this goes. I like reading books. This is, uh, this is <laughs> You've so You've only fun. had two weeks. You only had two weeks with this chapter. You'll, <laughs> you're not ready to move it's on good. yet. Definitely yeah. not. I'm really interested to see now more than ever. Especially after the kind of chapters we've had with Stannis, I just haven't felt that invested in what happens to him because right. it seemed it seemed like it just doesn't matter. But now, like I have this time with him more to be reminded that he's a person and that there are other people with him, and, and there's that, other people backing him, and like yes, yeah. I kind of I'm 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 really excited to see how it goes. I hope that it doesn't end the way that it did in the show. I think that Stannis just really has these guys to take down and then the deal with the whoever they end up hiring, but with the money given to them from the Bank of Bravos with a potential alliance with, with whatever happens with the Greyjoys. I mean, this could be really interesting. It could be a, a reshaping of the conflict north when he finds out about Wyman Manderley, which I assume yeah. might happen, but it might be one of those dangerous things where he ends up like killing him on accident and then <laughs> finds out about it later when Davo shows up and he's yeah. like, that guard, let me go. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like so excited and he's like, wait. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's just, uh, it's just, it basically seems like Roos Bolton and Ramsey are really it. And those nasty guys taking out all this potential good will that these guys might share after defeating their enemy mm-hmm. um, sounds discouraging to me, but that's usually where things go in stories like this. Yeah. Like it, it allows us to explore our, the things that we don't want to happen because it's in a safe way. It's in a book and we can explore our feelings and explore loss and all the ways that George R. R. Martin sees fit through these characters. But I don't think that he's going to do Theon dirty the way that Stannis presumes to take care of the situation. And I don't know if anyone feels that way. So, so it's not going to happen, right? Well then how's he going to do it exactly? And it's not just going to be an event that, that's like isolated. Like I said, I think it's going to involve just the whole conflict in general. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to happen perfectly at the time that all of this is going on. Right. And with all the stuff that we just described happening, hanging in the balance, pretty cool and exciting. It is exciting. And you talked about this earlier, but the fact that the action is still coming to a climax at the beginning of Winds of Winter, I think that we've we've spent a lot of time in dance and through our Feast of Dragons read-through, building up to a lot of these big things. And we're finally going to start to get some payoff, I feel like. And I feel like that's going to come quickly um, throughout dance. Nope. Throughout winds of winter. We'll get to the end of these sample chapters and start being violently angry that the book isn't out yet. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> so we can look, look forward to that, everyone. <laughs> so what do you think? Was this... Uh, was this good, like, engagingly fun for you? So you're not, like, much for the, the political intrigue. But for me, I was just wondering, like, how the, like, who knew what and how and how Stance was going to tell it's them not like that the they, political- like, he knew and stuff like that. Yeah. It's not like the politi- political intrigue that I'm not interested in. It's, like, the battle plans. Yeah. Which I guess is kind of the same thing. 
I don't know. I like this chapter. I like this chapter mostly because I really like, like I was saying at the beginning of the episode, I really enjoy that we're with Theon, especially coming off of season eight. It's so nice to be with Stannis and to be reacquainted with him um, and to see him near the end for him. And if there's magic weaved all throughout this thing as we're meant to believe, I think that that's a really exciting prospect because that's a piece that's been missing from the narrative of the TV show for a long time. And so I'm just excited. So... Yeah, it's good to have it just be the the talk, at least on the podcast. Like, have it be the uh, sort of atmosphere. The of talk what's of the going town. On. I like that though. <laughs> I, li- I like I like it the way the chapter ended. It's just a, a promise again of just weirdness. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm here for all that weirdness. That's strange. He's so smug about this fact. But wouldn't you be if birds were shouting your name after people were deciding what to do with you? Yes. And how to kill you? Yeah. You're like ah, crazy. Not all is lost. They know my name, he thought. Yeah, that's a weird thing. But good for Theon for getting closer to being Theon. I, all that Reek stuff is super rough. That rhymed. I'm going to go ahead and read that part that I found. Is this going to be uh, your own? No, it's not going to be my own, but I just wanted to read it because I, I uh, quoted it earlier and I didn't get it right, and it's really weird. This is Theon talking about Ramsay. He says, don't you call him that. Then the words came spilling out of Theon in a rush. He tried to tell her all of it, about Reek and the Dreadfort and Kira, Kyra and her keys, how Lord Ramsay never took anything but skin unless you begged for it. He told her how he'd saved the girl leaping from the castle wall into the snow. We flew, let Abel make a song of that. We flew. The the we flew thing is interesting. I don't have anything to say about it other than <laughs> it's interesting especially if we're well, he was just doing go well, on. especially if we're thinking that of like Bran is here you know and flying and all of that kind of thing I think adds to um so interesting like what Theon's purpose is he was just talking about with with Asha in that same moment, he was part of his info dump was talking about the swords missing from the crypt and mm-hmm. how the Stone Kings were angry, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if that was immediately followed by the old gods communicating, he like acknowledges that the old gods communicate with him through the trees, mm-hmm. that they know him, yeah, and and then like you said, we flew. Hmm. Okay, so you think that much like the show kind of hinted at Dion having like a, a proximity to Bran being important. Do you think that that's maybe analogous to a way more complicated role that Theon's going to have that's sort of directly tied with Bran and the three-eyed raven? I mean, I definitely think that Theon is going to... Theon is definitely going to have some sort of redemptive arc. And I think that based off of the whisperings that are either happening or that he's hearing inside of his head, the connection there to me seems pretty strong. And do I think that he's going to be standing in front of Bran with a sword in his hand as the Night King is coming for him? I don't (laughs) know about that. But I do think that he is going to be able to play some role as his starkness inside of him is going to come out and be part of what helps save the day and overcome all that bad stuff yeah yeah so and that he's gonna feel like he did his duty or that he's a good man or that he helped like 
the Starks at the end, and it wasn't all for naught. So, Brand can talk. Presumably, he and the Three Eyed Crow can can pretty much do what they want, and it seems like it it's either warging specific or tree specific, which I guess is sort of the same power. I think it's really interesting how I guess it's because in much in the way that Theon's like just fed up with this scenario and like letting stuff come at him in real time, they kind of treat Theon like, oh, there's no reason to even be secretive to this guy. Like we can directly troll <laughs> yeah. him. Like we can just say his name to him because he's done so much bad shit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he owes us. He's our guy. And that's what makes me think that he's going to have to be like sort of like poetically aligned with Bran yeah. in this plight. You know what I mean? Kind of like a, a, a surrogate Hodor after the fact. Like, dude, like you're you're a bad dude. <laughs> you're you're with it's like how Bran handled Tyrion at the end of uh GOT, mm-hmm. where it's like you're you're a sly, bad, potentially whack dude. You're gonna work for this me. This is the least you can do to repay me. Yeah. Right. It just that's so heartwarming for me. It's like, hmm, such a deep story. It is, especially if and when that Turns out to be a good thing for Theon, you know? We like that guy. We're going to see something like that that's uh, it's part of the conflict here, I believe. They're so adamant about him going to that tree. And it just seems like so pointless. The way that Asha describes it, it makes a lot of sense. She's basically giving Stannis a, a really good monologue where she's telling him to kill Theon her, herself, take him to the heart tree right over there. Take out your magic sword, kill him just like Ned Stark would have. I love that part. And it seems so fateful, but it also is kind of pointless. He could just kill Theon right there. Theon's already half dead, but there's just something weird and magical about him doing it there and it being him and it being that magic sword and it being Asha's idea. Yeah. I'm really, really excited about what comes out with that. And just being with Stannis in general is is fun even though he burns his daughter in the TV show he hasn't yet in the show or in the, here in the book series uh, and other than the fact that he's he just doesn't. kind of a jerk in general it doesn't give me enough hate in my heart to not enjoy my time I with like him. book Stannis so yeah no I like I am Stannis. 100% back on the Stannis train <laughs> right now for the time being cuz it is it just feels so good to be in a room with this guy who might be mean to the people that we like but when he's dispensing justice against the bad guys you can't help but to be like yes cheer for him a little bit yeah a little bit can i read uh part of this chapter for everyone please just Do you mind? read away you're like just read if you Do want to read, read the whole thing, thing. Go for it. <laughs> I was literally say that, <laughs> that used to be a patreon tier back in the day uh, yes. anyway Here's a snippet from the chapter where the Karstarks enter. And this is after Maester Tybalt has left. And uh, I I think I referenced at some point that he pissed himself. Since I'm not reading that specifically, I just want to tell everyone, just in case you're wondering, if you're not reading with us. Of which you should, though, because these chapters are available online and they're really fun to read. But anyway, so he's he's kneeling. I guess he's still kneeling at this point, and Stannis is asking him about the ravens, funny enough. And so imagine these ravens have been, like, patiently hanging out with this maester the whole time. Waiting for their time to shine. Waiting for their time to shine. I don't think that they've been inactive. I'm just assuming that they've been saying weird stuff to this guy for a while. (laughs) Like, making this—like, probably encouraging this guy to be a turncloak. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Also, like encouraging him to do like weird stuff, or like from like telling him to go to the bathroom at certain times, <laughs> like when a certain guy is gonna walk by because they know like something embarrassing would happen. Yeah. I'm just imagining some hijinks, like them having fun with this guy because he he's like not very Smart. brave. He has like no spine, and I think that they tend to punish people. It seems that they tend to punish people like that. And maybe Brand's like, maybe he's a little bit into that too. I don't know. So he's kneeling. Stannis is asking him about the ravens. And he's like, uh, yeah, only certain ravens that come along in 100 years can remember four to five places. We learn a little bit, which is nice. It's like a miniature info dump about the technology of the ravens. And uh, I don't think we've gotten such a literal uh, representation of this fact. I know it's something that people have probably looked up that have watched the TV show. They're like, how do these ravens work if they're a little bit nerdy and interested? I know that if I wasn't making the podcast, that would be something I would be looking up, especially after the uh all the worrying and stuff happens with these ravens. I'd be like, well, what's all this deal with these birds? Like, why is this so important? Like, why is the art on this show? Anyway, I'm getting off topic. <laughs> Just read your piece. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he like does the trick mid, mid combo. And he's like, so is that bird going to, uh, back to the Dreadfort, or if I flew them, might I find it goes to Winterfell? <laughs> and he pisses himself. Oh, I feel so bad. Because he's scared. Yeah, because he's been caught. I feel bad for the guy. <sighs> Too bad. So they uh, they don't know what to do with them. He threatens him in like a really fun way. He's like, he har- he harkens back to uh, Maester Cress and he's like, yes, I respect your order very much. I have lots of uh, knowledge. You don't need to tell me your vows, like save your weird like excuses. They're not going to work on me. I'm probably smarter than the guy that you're used to manipulating. Uh, so no thanks. He brings in the Karstarks. And this is the uh, part of the... The chapter I wanted to read. I just wanted to give a little bit of perspective about how he handled the first guy, the guy who was like part of their company that was doing something bad that I don't think he found out directly because he had a letter on his desk at the beginning of the of the chapter, which I'm guessing and other people guess as well was the information or was a letter from John mm-hmm. saying that the Karstarks are turncloaks, which he knows about. But I don't know if he specifically called out the maester or if he would specifically know that the maester. So it's kind of interesting how that all went down. So that's how he dealt with the maester. But when the Karstarks came in, this is what happened. Like the main guys. There are no chairs, the oaf observed. One of the ravens screamed inside its cage. <laughs> Anything that they do in this chapter has me laughing, yeah. by the way. Just just one of the ravens screamed inside of its cage. Okay, only mine. King Stannis sat in it. It is no Iron Throne, but here and now it suits. A dozen men had filed through the tower door, led by the knights and the moths and the big man in the silvered breastplate. You are dead men. Understand that, the king went on. Just He just gets it right out of the gate. You are dead men. Understand that, the king went on. Only the manner of your dying remains to be determined. You would well... You'd be well advised not to waste my time with denials. Confess, and you shall have the same swift end that the young wolf gave Lord Rickard. Lie, and you will burn. Choose. I choose this, one of the grandsons, seized his sword hilt and made to draw it. Uh, proved to be a poor choice. The grandson's blade had not even cleared his scabbard before two of the king's knights were on him. It ended with his forearm flopping in the dirt and blood spurting from his stump, and one of the brothers stumbling for the stairs, clutching a belly wound. He staggered up six steps before he fell and came crashing back down to the floor. 
after that quote, I don't have this uh, copied, so I don't know the words exactly, but um, I believe what happened directly after that was that the two main car starks aren't off and the other one didn't move at all. Yeah. I know what I did here. Didn't Theon make some comment about how they showed up literally thinking they were going to breakfast and not even being prepared for any sort of battle? Like, they just show up thinking that they're going to really just eat breakfast with the Stannis guy. <laughs> like, they're not, like, yeah. expecting any sort of conflict or coming in armed or any of that kind of thing. They're just ready for eggs and bacon. I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. At least they didn't ambush him and stab him to death in their soft clothes in that point. Like, gave him time to, like, think about all the wrongs that they did in their life. It was, like, <laughs> give a choice. Them. Yeah. Right. They were really... uh I think it was the I think it was Arnoff who was like unsettled at the sight of Theon when the recognition of Theon came over him. Oh and yeah. So I think that there was probably some mingled fear there about being found out. Well that's that that's such a flex on Stannis's point of like Yeah, Theon is here. Like this this is what I do to my enemies, or like this is what I do to turn cloaks, so or this is the kind of power and capabilities that I have. So That's what he said to Theon me. in that scene. After they after that action just happened, uh, Stannis was like, you know, I don't want them. Get them out of my sight. I'll deal. I'll think about what to do with them. And he turns to Theon and says, "This is what I do to turn cloaks." Mm-hmm. It's just that level of intimacy that they hold throughout the chapter, even among all their guests, is so interesting to me. The way he. Stannis dials into the people that we want him to dial into. He just does it without fail. It's like he knows, like real knows real, basically, in this sense. It just sucks that he's not more of an outstanding character for like the reasons we want him to be. Because few people vibe with, with as many different people in these books as, as Stannis, Stannis does. Is. Like ones that we really like. It's kind of interesting. Do we know, and probably the, there is an answer based off of... Uh, chronological context in the books, but I just don't know the answer to that. How long Theon has been here with Stannis? How much? How much time have they have they had together? I don't know the answer to that question, but I think that that lends itself to. It seems to me that there's been at least a little bit of time passing. Otherwise, some of that familiarity and intimacy that tends to be there, I think, has probably come from ta- a little bit of time. Not a lot of time. I mean, there's not a lot of time, but. You know, a couple days or so, you know. Yeah, I think it's probably something like that because his shackles haven't wore through his skin or anything. Right. It says that his his weight has almost like, oh, it's tearing me from my body, my shoulders from my body. My own weight is doing this, but he hadn't been completely hurt. You know what right. I mean? Right, right. So. It's like a measured approach to his torture or whatever. Not very fun idea. I mean, like, we're saying all this nice stuff about Stannis. Meanwhile, he's got Theon hanging in a corner. Yeah, no, but... But in his defense, every single person wants him dead for different reasons. Right. Theon, he... Anybody's... Stannis is doing Theon a favor. Kind of. Maybe. Not really. Theon wants to die. What do you think is going to happen? Like, do you think that Stannis is going to win this fight? Or do you think that he's going to lose? And also, do you think that Justin Massey is going to turn his cloak, either with the money or before he gets the money. Stannis makes some sort of comment earlier in this chapter about how he's got an upper hand because, uh, yes, um, he's talking about the phrase. And... um, 
Oh, like the the quality of their soldiers? Yeah, and he says something about angry foes don't concern me. Anger like makes men not able to perform, essentially. I can't remember. I'm looking for it. He's basically kind of talking about how—oh, I found it. He is talking about how Bolton has made a mistake, that he could have just starved them out, but instead he decided to send his for- some forces along, even if they're not his best or even if it's just half of them. And um, he that, that, that all of this is going to be to his advantage because— um, I don't know why he says it's to this vantage because he's dumb. I think it's his resolve. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like he's naming all of these facts and he's we're saying, hold our ground and yet, anyway. here we are. We're going to yeah. win. We're going to, he says like, we're going to, we're going to use this ground to our advantage is what he says. And Theon's like, he's like, we're going to do better. Yeah. That's so attractive though. Like it really emboldens you to stand as his cause if you don't completely hate the guy when you hear how just sure he is that he's going to beat these guys that we don't really like. But that's always the case with Stannis, you know? And that's the thing is like there's part of me that absolutely – not part of me, a large – my whole being that wants the Boltons done with and if Stannis is going to be the guy to do that, then that is an extremely exciting prospect to me. But – um, I just think that the way this chapter is set up and kind of some of the conversations that Stannis is having with JM and taking clues from yeah. the TV series <laughs> that I don't think that this is going to go well for him. But we'll see. What do you think? Do you see him surviving at the end of this? No, I think it'd be a good opportunity to show like a changing of the guard and have some crazy stuff happen and force John to be sad and also do stuff and also to remove an opportunity for John to have someone like Stannis in his life still, especially with like the power of having just beaten the Boltons. Right. But I do welcome the, the change, not just because I've seen a similar story play out on the TV show, but because I really like the idea of Stannis being around in the end game. I think he's just awkward and strange and I think he'll become more awkward and strange once his power is taken away from him and he's still alive. And I don't know what that's going to look like necessarily, but I just hope he wins because I don't like the Boltons and I'm not really one for seeing the bad guys win. Even if it's in a safe story context, it just always annoys me. Right. Especially when there's someone as as useless as Ramsey Bolton right. to me. I don't really, I don't get the appeal. And not quite as interesting. So it's like Stannis' story and who he is as a character is somebody who I'm much more interested in following along with, regardless of him being a quote unquote good guy or a bad guy. Yeah. Essentially is what I'm hearing you say. I'm also really interested in seeing how everyone out east that has power and the desire to mess up, mess around with what's happening in Westeros. Like, I want to see how that goes down. And I also got to say, shout out to the rest of the sample chapters that we're going to be reading, especially the Barry chapters. Like, holy crap. I like, know. You can spoon feed that to me if you want. All of his, all the things that he notices, let alone when he sees the uh, the ships we don't want to get too much in the details. You probably already know. But again, we'll save that the combo for later. But Jesus, like, come on. Give me the rest of this book. Yeah, so that's why nobody can be mad at us for going to the sample chapters. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with A Feast with Dragons We're soon. But this is a nice little, like, time. We're spending a little bit of time doing some new stuff yeah. after the 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 punch in the gut of, Season I eight. guess, the main plot being revealed. Through the finale of GOT, there's still so much to to get into when it comes to the the nitty gritty to the story and the potential for there to be so much more than we previously expected. So thanks for listening with us a lot. 
we're uh, excited about doing more of this and getting you know getting it started and like falling in the rhythm of uh, you know keeping the the thoughts and desires of these characters in wins and at the the last part of a dance of dragons like fresh in our minds and hopefully that will help drive the likelihood of the universe to manifest the wins of winners sooner rather than later what do you think hannah at the end of season eight i think something that we kept saying over and over again to ourselves and also on the podcast was how much Le- much left there is and how much interesting story there is to tell and how much we can learn from the last couple seasons and knowing sort of some way when how why things possibly come to an end and so um yeah I mean I'm excited that we can dive into that together and I'm it just is really nice to be back to the books which I think for Many of us is where we fell in love with the story in the first place, and it feels good to have some like real interesting analysis to kind of go through, and especially with Winds of Winter when there are a lot of questions that we don't have answers. And not that we have answers to questions at the end of A Feast of Dragons either, because we're really getting to the end of of that as well. So we're just in a a time where we've got more room for theories and these more open-ended, broader questions about the series, which is really what we're all here for anyway. So yeah, I'm amped. We're going to do our owns right now. We only asked for owns today. So I think we only have one own from you guys. We only asked for owns. I encourage everyone. (laughs) One hour before we decided to record. (laughs) (laughs) Read these sample chapters if you haven't. That's really fun. I think you're going to have a good time with it. That being said, (laughs) what is your own? I want to give my own to... Something that we already talked about in the end, and you pretty much already read it, but I want to give my own to it anyway, which is Asha talking about Ned Stark and all of that. Um, Should I read it again? Did you read it or did you just describe it? I think you just described it. Um, Stannis is... It was almost like you were there though, right? It was. I mean, truly, like you really did a great (laughs) job. Um, Stannis says your brother must die and... Asha says, then do the deed yourself, your grace. The chill in Asha's voice made Theon shiver in his chains. Take him out across the lake to the islet where the werewood grows and strike his head off with a sorcerer's sword you bear. That's how Eddard Stark would have done it. Theon slew Lord Eddard's sons. Give him to Lord Lord Eddard's gods, the old gods of the north. Give him to the tree. And any time that we continue to see Ned Stark's influence, I'm a sucker for. So, um, own to that. Right on. I just love the the imagery that evokes. It, there's like we were saying earlier. There's no need for it right. to be so like poetic and beautiful. But Asha's like, we're here. Yeah. We're all gonna die. Like, do something that the gods would like. Right. Like, do a crazy thing that seems like the gods orchestrated this moment. And she would be right if Stannis Baratheon, Asha Greyjoy, and Theon Greyjoy are standing in front of a heart tree while Bran and the Three Eyed Raven watches. I mean, Theon, the gods Theon, made Theon. that moment yeah. happen. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So, anyway, I think it's cool. Good on you, George R. R. Martin. Didn't see that one coming and uh, didn't know I needed it, but uh, you, <laughs> here we are. You know what's going on. <laughs> you know what's going on. I'm going to give my own to a couple of these quotes that I have. And then uh, I think it's going to just be for Brendan and uh, Bran mm-hmm. at the end of things. <clears throat> but there's a couple of quotes I thought that were fun. Just reading this gives me uh, feels, especially after just looking back and thinking about how long the story has been so important to me. Just to read this new sentence 
and to be warmed by it means that there's still a lot of life to be left, left to be lived by me and everyone. Yes. All right. All right. Here we go. Stan and Sparathian paced the floor. The tower was a small one, dank and cramped. A few steps brought the king to Theon. How many men does Bolton have at Winterfell? Five thousand, six, more. He gave the king a ghastly grin, all shattered teeth and splinters. More than you. <laughs> That's just Theon and Stannis casually hanging out, everyone. <laughs> no big deal. Here's another one. I'm going to skip to the end of this paragraph, but it's one of those times where Theon's snapping at Stannis saying, uh, you should be scared of Lord Ramsay. And uh, he's uh, he tells Stannis, you do not know him. And Stannis goes, no more than he knows me. Knows me, cried one of the ravens the maester had left behind. It flapped its big black wings against the bars of its cage. Knows, it cried again. Stannis turned, stop that noise. So. What do you think that means? pretty cool. I think now that you've told me that Dion might just be crazy, <laughs> that he was just like squawking like a bird. But I don't think so. Out of your sails. I don't think so. I think that's got to be something magical because it's not like he shouted no more than he knows me. He said it. Right. And uh, another quote. Boys will not hold Lord Bolton long. That's when Dion was talking about the quality of the soldiers at his command, saying that most of the good ones went with uh, uh, went with Rob and died at the Red Wedding, etc. The quote says, Boys will not hold Lord Bolton long. Not long, Theon agreed. Not long at all. Not long, cried the raven from its cage. And one more quote. <laughs> the ground, said Theon. What ground? Here, this misbegotten tower, this wretched little village. You have no high ground here, no walls to hide behind, no natural defenses. Yet, Santa said. Yet, both ravens screamed in unison, for the love of God. <laughs> <laughs> like, if this isn't heavy enough for you, then one quarked and the other muttered, tree, tree, tree. That tree chant is really good. Crazy. So those are the owns of the chapter for me. I'm going to give it to Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven for being consummate weirdos. And a little bit to George R. R. Martin. I feel like you're... And a little bit to George R. R. Yeah. Martin. Oh, did you like that own, dude? Yeah, I loved it. And this is our own sent in from you guys from Jen Hughes on Facebook. Jen writes, one of my fave sample chapters, own to that raven for knowing Theon's name. Also, special shout out to Amanda Taylor. Oh, dear. I thought we were still reading A Dance of Dragons. <laughs> Sorry, Amanda. Joke's on you. <laughs> we'll be back soon. Uh, but thanks for sending in your own. If you want to yeah, thank you. keep sending in your owns for Theon 1, because we really didn't give anybody enough time, um, we'll retweet them. And you can send those in a couple different ways. You can send them to us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram, at Game of Owns, at all those different outlets. And send us in your thoughts. We are going to, we're going to be reading them in order of publication dates. So we will tweet out what the next couple chapters are. But make sure you take a look at the sample chapters and get caught up. And we'll be talking about them for the next couple episodes. So if you guys are looking for any more information, like all of the information on what we know about the Winds of Winter at this point, or at least what information has become available to our good friend, Jeff Hartline, a.k.a. Brendan Beefish. He has a website. This is the blog that we met him through originally, mm -hmm. and he is still updating this post. It's called The Ultimate Winds of Winter Resource. It's on wars and politics of ice and fire. 
wars and politics of ice and fire dot wordpress dot com. And he's just got everything. It's a long list of info, uh, including links to read the chapters. We'll also be putting those out on social media. And transcripts of chapters uh, that aren't actually published. So, yeah, you should check it out. It's also got the order that we're going to read them in. So the order that that they are on Jeff's blog is the order of which they were published. And so that's how we're going to read through them. Lots of rumors and stuff on here as well. So if you're into that kind of thing, you can check it out. Lots of like uh, accountability on George's behalf. Like, hey, how long were you working on it before you went on this trip? Or when did you say you were going to a, a cabin to read it. to work on your stuff? I mean, it's a lot of people care about it. A lot of and people care about. It. I don't like, hate uh, it, but it's like a real life true true crime podcast <laughs> right now. When we could just ask George specifically what he's doing. I don't think we can just ask if, him. <laughs> No, we can't, but we could because he is just another person at the end of the day. Anyway, that's uh, a way that you can check out all that stuff. And I think that you should if you're going to be following along in the podcast with us. But like Hannah said, it looks like we're going to be doing the uh, publication order, even though I want to go right into Barry on our next one, but we can't. But it follows shortly after Ariane 1. Everybody, Ariane 1. Imagining I'm like a teacher in your classroom when you're a kid and I'm holding up the picture book and I'm facing it toward the class <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like panning it around to everyone. Ariane one, everybody. So that's that's on the docket next. We're gonna explore the the sandy perimeters of Dorne. Love it. Are we gonna do two chapters or just one chapter? Hmm. TBT. Not TBT. TBD. <laughs> to be determined. <laughs> <laughs> so should we talk about the new show? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't give it so much fanfare. <laughs> or maybe do give it that much fanfare. I don't know. I mean, that was like a drum roll. It wasn't that much fanfare. We've been working on another project, which we're excited about, and wanted to share it with you guys. We've got another podcast coming down the pipeline in the works. That's not going to take away from our Winds of Winter sample chapter reading, but oh, no. just another little, I don't know, a side hustle to our side hustle. I like that. We're starting a new <laughs> podcast so we can talk about more subjects whatever the heck we want things that are yeah right a song of ice and fire and game of thrones related which is hard sometimes but it's fun it's been fun to have rails to be operating within but we've been trying to figure out a way to do all the stuff that we want to do in a podcast in another way and sort of turn it into one thing instead of making several small things and so we think that this is the way to go and we're going to be putting out our first episode next week and the podcast will be available on audio like you're used to like game of owns but we're also going to be publishing it alongside uh, we're taking video of it mm-hmm. so when we're recording it in person we'll be shooting video together and when we're not we'll be shooting on our own cameras uh, basically the same way that we're making game of owns now but we're going to add another layer to it because it's going to be a lot harder to do that way and we're trying to do something that's challenging and fun and hopefully engaging for everyone yeah, and exciting for us. So we will be tweeting out about it on our social media. So if you're following us on Game of Owns, you'll be able to follow us or find out about our other show that I'm scared to say the name of. <laughs> I'm not scared to say the name of Wait, it. Wait, you should say the name like, because we were going to leave that episode up. We have an episode for the podcast right now available that you can listen to right now. But we're going to delete it and make a new first episode because our video messed up when we made it. And because it's rough we were, and we didn't know what we were doing or what we wanted to do. So, <laughs> Well, don't expect much more, people. But true. yes, that we, uh, we're live streaming it on Instagram and the video messed up. So we thought it'd be funny to just redo the first episode because we want 
all of them to actually work the way that we're trying to do the rest of them. So if you want to listen to something that will no, no longer be available from us ever again, you have like uh, a week to go listen to that first episode that will die very shortly. Who's going to say the name of the podcast? Who's going to keep dancing around it? <laughs> you I'm not dancing me. around anything, dude. <laughs> this is like uh, a moment for you. You're like, I've been working on something. I don't know how to tell it people is. about it. <laughs> um, it, it. It really doesn't matter what the podcast is called. Like, who cares? Our new podcast is called It Really Makes You Think. It was between that and it really be like that yeah. sometimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> or it really be like that. It's called It Really Makes You Think. Yeah, you can find on social media. I mean, there's some episodes, not some episodes, but we've got like an Instagram already made for it, um, which you can go ahead and follow us on there. Or you can just stay tuned as we get our first real episode recorded in the next couple of days. And that's going to be out on in the next week or so. So we're excited. It's just something new and different and fun for us. And... um like, I think that when, during the season, when we were live on Instagram and, like, hanging out with you guys, we felt like that was the kind of vibe we wanted to recreate in another interesting way. So, it really makes you think. Yeah, we we tried that for the first one. And, like I said, we had some trouble with the video and Instagram. We're still trying to find a way to do it because we're basically just trying to do what we've been doing, but, uh, like, make it better and that's really hard to do yeah <laughs> it's like wait how, how do we improve on something that was already hard to do technology is hard wait a second dot com so see how it goes but that means in the next couple weeks we've got new episodes of game of owns we've got new episodes of it really makes you think so uh lots of exciting stuff coming coming up soon i'm excited about it and thanks to everyone for listening like really thank you so much for giving hannah and i a reason and all of our friends that we invite on the podcast reasons to to come together and do this obviously we have a ton of fun doing it but it's just something extra special knowing that we have some friends out there that we haven't met yet and some of you that we have met but that are having enjoyment through the process like we are it's a weird thing because it's something that we love to be doing anyway but to know that we can just keep sharing and it keeps on continuing all the good feelings is pretty awesome mm-hmm. so now we're going to be doing two podcasts everyone we hope you listen to the new one yay you can go to it really makes you think.com if you want to find it or look it up on itunes either way that's the new thing and yeah and that's, that's all. all we'll see you soon Either way. Go listen to other podcasts now. We'll see you in like five seconds. <laughs> Just, you know, don't get too used to it. We're going to delete it oh, very soon. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.